am pretty jacked about today's message. And uh, I guess when you begin to see confirmation of what God has placed on your heart, when you begin to see that God is uh, deeply entrenched in the message that you're preparing, uh, then it provides you with a lot more courage and a, a lot more uh, wherewithal to preach the message and to preach the word with vigor. I want to begin by asking you to listen. Listen. Do you hear him coming? You can run, but you cannot hide. You might as well just come on out and fight. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the giants that are in your life. Those giants exist in every area of our lives. They try to hinder everything you aspire to do. The chief goal of the giant is to stand in the way of every new land that God has given you to possess. The goal of the giant is to cast his shadow over every dream that you hope to pursue. Today in our culture, we would call them bullies. But they are the same old giants that have intimidated people for centuries. But God. But God wants you and I to face our giant and to take hold of what he has promised us. So, which giant is bullying you? Is it the giant of fear? Is it the giant of discouragement, of loneliness? Is it the giant of worry? Is it the giant of guilt? The giant of temptation? Is it the giant of anger, of doubt, of past failure? Whatever giant that has given you grief, the Bible wants you to know that God is bigger. God is bigger. Say that with me. And don't you ever forget it. What God promises you will come to light. Whatever giant is giving you grief, he promises that he will be with you and that he promises that he will empower you until you overcome your giant. As long as you seek him and serve him. But, there's always a but, amen? There's no feeling that's quite like the most deadly of giants. The giant of fear. 
But hasn't God wired us with fear so that we protect ourselves from unexpected things? Hasn't God given us fear so that we might have those sudden bursts of strength to overcome the unexpected? Hasn't God provided us with fear to provide those sudden bursts of speed when we need to overcome the fear? Isn't fear a basic survival instinct? It is as long as it remains rational. Fear that's irrational, fear that's out of control is called a phobia. A phobia results when fear and fact don't touch. I wonder to myself as I was preparing just how many phobias are there? And so you know what I did. I googled it. I googled phobias and I found over 500 different phobias. And as I looked at all those phobias, I became convinced that some of you are afflicted with some of them. Now, I'm not going to share all 500, but I've got to share some of these. Amen. This is first one is one that I can identify with. It's called angliophobia. It's the fear of pain. I don't know if I fear pain as much as I'm allergic to pain. Amen. Barophobia. The fear of gravity. I'm not so much scared of gravity, but I'm scared of what happens when I come down to the end of gravity. Amen. Bogophobia is the fear of the boogeyman. Prayerfully, none of you are scared of that. Brontophobia, some of you may identify with, the fear of thunder or lightning. Carcinophobia, the fear of cancer. That could be real. Caprastasophobia, the fear of constipation. I've wondered if some of you are afflicted with this next one. Ecclesiophobia. It's the fear of church. America, much of America is stricken with ergophobia, which is the fear of work. I pray you all have this one. Hadephobia, the fear of hell. I've often wondered if you were afflicted with this one as well. Homilophobia is the fear of sermons. <laughs> Ligophobia is the fear of darkness. Hey, man, I was scared of the dark when I was a kid. Macrophobia, I definitely got this one. Macrophobia is the fear of long waits. Necrophobia, the fear of death. I can see where that would be real. Obesophobia, the irrational fear of gaining weight. I pray you all have this next one. Picastophobia, which is the fear of sinning. 
Amen? And then, of course, it, the list wouldn't be complete if you didn't have phobophobia, which is the fear of phobias. Y'all, the list went on and on and on. When fear has power over us, it paralyzes us and it keeps us from doing routine things in our life like working, living, playing, or serving God. We essentially become a slave to terror. Now, fear has been described as this small trickle of doubt that flows through our mind over and over again until it wears a channel that all your thoughts go through. But what about us Christians? So thankful that I don't have to worry about fear, amen? Really. Since we have the presence of Almighty God and the knowledge of Almighty God, fear is not something that we Christians have to worry about, is it? Maybe it shouldn't, but it is. You see, the Bible never painted our Christian lives as a fear-free life. Matter of fact, in last Sunday's message, I shared with you when Goliath the giant defied the armies of Israel that Saul and the whole nation of Israel were dismayed and, get this, greatly afraid. Very scared. And then all along, the, the shepherd boy David comes along and he comes to fight the giant. Do you think that David was afraid? You think David was afraid? You're darn tootin'. Amen? You know that he was afraid. But get this. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is overcoming fear. David had courage. Courage is the place where fear and faith come together. Fear and faith come together in something we call courage. But what about when we get discouraged? What happens when we get discouraged? When I get discouraged, I find that the power of fear is the greatest. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, we're going to read about a team of spies who were sent into the promised land to do a little recon. Y'all know what recon is, right? A little reconnaissance and to bring back some information about the people that live there, about the, the country, about the food, and also about the cities that were in the promised land. Follow along with me in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and I'm just going to begin in verse 19. Moses says, so we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites which the Lord our God is giving us. 
Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God your, of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us. Let's let, us, let them search out the land for us. Bring back word to us of the way we should go and the cities by which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, Moses said. So I took 12 men, 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. And they departed and they went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit from the land into their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, Oh, it is a good land. It's a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, and if I can put a little twist on this, listen to how I think they said it. Because the Lord our God hates us. He's brought us up out of the land of Egypt. He's going to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites. Also, he can destroy us. Where can we go? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, those people are greater and they're taller than we are. <laughs> the cities are great. They're fortified all the way up to heaven. Moreover, we've seen the sons of Anakim there. And then Moses said, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out the place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Those verses tell us at least five reasons why fear is so detrimental to our relationship with God. And I want to share those with you this morning. The first of which is fear disregards God's plan. There in verse 19, Moses said, We departed from Hor, we went through the great wilderness. As the Lord commanded us, we came to Kedesh Barnea. And I said to you, You've come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord your God has given you. Look, the Lord your God has set a land before you. Now go up. Possess it as the Lord your God of the fathers, your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. God's command was crystal clear. He said, Guys, here's your land. Here is my gift to you. Now go grab it. Go get it. Go live in it. 
Man, you'd think they would have been so excited. We're finally here. I would have been so ecstatic. I'd come so far. We finally arrived to the land that God Almighty has promised us. Those people had prevailed over Pharaoh's army crossing the Red Sea. They had come through the most harsh wilderness that you could ever imagine. But they couldn't take a stand against this final obstacle, fear. Fear. This morning, you very well may be standing in the threshold of God's greatest promise for your life. You may be exactly where these Israelites are. But you'll never claim the blessings of God if you let fear dominate your life. Don't let short-sighted fear rob you of God's plan. Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given us, talking about to believers, God has not given believers a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What does all that mean, Bill? It means that God equips believers with the ability with the passion and with the understanding to charge forward with a cry of victory and grab hold of the promises that have got your name on them. Well, what's the battle cry, Bill? What's the battle cry of the believer? In Romans 8, chapter 15, the Bible cry of the believer kind of goes like this. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. No, you've received the spirit of adoption by which we all cry out, Abba, Father. What's your battle cry when you get scared? What's your battle cry when you get terrified? What's your battle cry when you're overcome with fear? You ready for this? Daddy! Daddy, help me! That's biblical, amen? Help me, Daddy. Call upon the name of the Father. The Father has adopted you as His own. The Father claims you as His property. The Father has given you all the rights as children of the King. You don't have to face a single thing without the God of the universe. Nothing. The truth is this. God has a plan for us, and fear disregards that plan. Now here's something else that fear does. It's so detrimental to our relationship with God. Fear distorts God's purposes. In verse 27, notice what Moses said. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us and has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller and the cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. 
Fear always does one predictable thing. Fear always distorts our perspective. You see, the way you look at fear is always much greater than the fear itself. Your perception of that fear is greater than the fear itself. Fear has a tendency to bring out the worst in us. Fear makes us complain. Fear makes us doubt God. Fear makes us point our finger and say, look at that. Fear makes us lose hope. Think about it. God had safely led his precious people through the harshest wilderness. He had offered them a new plan of living by giving them commandments atop Mount Sinai. And now God was offering them brand new real estate where they might build a brand new nation. But instead of being grateful for all that, instead of praising God for all that, in fear, they cowered in their tents and they griped about God's intentions. God hates us. He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us to our enemies. God wants to destroy me. See, that's what fear does. It distorts our perspective. If you ever knew someone who had homilophobia, that fear of sermons, you would say, friend, that is so silly. That is so silly. Your fear is so unfounded. That's easy for us to see how irrational that can be. But for some people, the problem is they get a distorted picture of what sermons really do for them. They don't really get it that sermons are there to help them, not to hurt them. And that happens because their perspective is distorted. When the spies returned from the promised land, they brought back a distorted picture of the truth. They brought back a distorted picture and they infected the whole nation with it. They saw the sons of Anakim. Literally, those were giant people. But there was only one real giant. And that was the giant that was between their ears. Fear. When we live in fear, we lose the ability to see things as they truly are. Fear is kind of like those funny mirrors at the state fair. Y'all know the ones I'm talking about, right? Man, some of those mirrors, you can stand from it and go like that, and you look like you're all buff and everything. Fear is like those funny mirrors. It distorts our view of what God has purposed for our lives, only it's not quite as fun. Amen? So fear disregards God's plan and fear distorts God's purposes but also fear will discourage God's people have you ever noticed that discouragement is very contagious it's like a horrible disease 
That word discourage literally means take away courage. To take away courage. Fear can actually cause you to take away courage from those you love. Consider this. Ten men. Ten men out of twelve came back with what the Bible calls a bad report. Those ten men infected the entire nation, not just for a week, not just for a month, but for a whole generation. The hopes and the dreams of the Israelites were ruined for 40 years by the fear of ten men. You see, when the spies returned, they brought back a giant with them. And this giant of fear prowled around the camp, infecting the whole nation and devouring the faith and the courage of all the men and women of Israel. If you don't think that fear is contagious, just go into a crowded theater and yell one word. Fire! Watch what happens. The mood will instantly change in the theater. It'll change from a spirit of expectation to what's coming to a spirit of fear that'll send them running. It will endanger everybody in the theater. If everybody picks up and starts running, somebody's going to get trampled. Fear is a most devastating disease because it discourages God's people. But fear also disbelieves God's promise. Look in verse 29 with me. Then Moses said to, said to the people of Israel, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God goes before you. He will fight for you according to all he did in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, in spite of all that evidence, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place where you would pitch your tents and to show you the way that you should go. Fear disbelieves God's promises. Did you hear what God called the Israelites? In essence, he said, these are my children. These are my children, and the Bible tells us that he carried them along just like you would carry an infant in your arms. He carried them along and he watched over them and he led their steps and he provided them with food and he saw that they were protected. Yes, over and over and over again, he proved himself worthy to his children. Has he proven himself worthy to you? But we all know that with learning comes testing. Whether you're in preschool or getting your second doctorate degree, there's going to be testing of what you've learned. 
when the spies were selected, the people were given a test of whether or not they were going to trust God or not. God's children had everything they needed to pass this test. So do we. Our memories of God's faithfulness, our experiences of what God has done in our lives and in the lives of our families should empower us to to remember that God's not going to turn his back on us. That God is never going to abandon us. That God will never forsake his children. Ever. Say ever. Ever. The problem is, is that fear freezes our, our eyes on what's in the headlights. Instead of looking up in the rearview mirror and recalling what God has done in the past. Sometimes you got to remember what God has done in your past and recall that he's been faithfulness all along. Sometimes that, that giant of fear gets so big that it just blocks out everything that God has done in the past. It blocks out everything that God is doing in the present. It blocks out everything that God has promised to do in the future. Fear disbelieves God's promises. But finally today, fear disobeys God's principles. One verse. In verse 26, Moses said, Nevertheless, children of God, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Now, this statement that I'm getting ready to say may sound a bit harsh, but it's true nonetheless, and that is this. Fear is disobedience. Plain and simple. Fear is disobedience. When God has given us everything we need so that we can walk by faith, how can fear be anything but disobedience? There's a little phrase in the Bible that appears some 365 times. Y'all know which one it is, don't you? Say it loud. Fear not. 365 times in the Bible. Now what gets me is, is why does God have to keep reminding me to fear not? Why does he have to run it into the ground? 365 times, over and over and over and over, over and over again, he has to tell me to fear not. Why? Because I'm stubborn. And sometimes my fears occupy my sight, and I don't recall what God has done in my past. When all is said and done, anything, that we substitute for God's way boils down to disobedience. And the hard part is, is that my disobedience has always had a cost. I don't know what the cost of your disobedience has been throughout your life. I know what it's been in mine. And there have been some times of suffering. And sometimes a difficulty as a result of my disobedience. For the nation of Israel, their disobedience cost them an entire 
generation. A whole generation lost. Only two men from that generation were permitted to enter the promised land. Caleb and Joshua. Two men. The only two men who overcame their fears, stood firm in their faith, and trusted God to the end. Two men out of some 600,000 people. I want to tell you something this morning. God longs for you just to accept the gifts he gives you. And not to let anything hinder you from receiving the gifts of God. God may have a thrilling ministry in store for you. God may have a great relationship waiting for you. God may have a new thrilling career direction in store for you. But fear can cut you off from those blessings. What if I'm making the wrong decision? What if this isn't the right partner for me? What if my business fails? What if I get in over my head? I got a great friend who loves to play what if. What if that boulder rolled down the mountain and squashed our car? What if that deer jumped right into our car window? What if a tree fell down, we had to swerve off the road, and had to go down that ravine? What if? Now, I know he's just playing. He's just goofing off. But that's exactly how irrational our fears can be. My question to you is this. What if? What if? But the questions I ask are not irrational. What if the God of the universe loved you beyond description? Could you believe that? Or would fear convince you otherwise? What if... God's desire for you to live eternally in heaven with him was so great that he would provide a simple gift that if you received that gift and trusted in that gift, heaven would be most assuredly yours. Could you believe that? Or would fear keep you from the promise of God? What if God's love for you persuaded him to send his own son to die in your place so that you could receive forgiveness for every sin you've ever committed and every sin you would ever commit? Could you believe that? Or would you let fear deprive you of that forgiveness? The son of God... That one who died for you, Jesus the Christ, said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Friends, do not 
let some irrational fear keep you from God's best for your life. Don't let it keep you from God's best in the here and now or the there and then. Trust him and receive the gift. The gift of salvation in Jesus. Father in heaven.